You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Yeah. My favorite, it's Judd's Hockey Show. Sure. It's, it's, it's harder, harder areas. Harder areas to get to, it's harder areas to score. Um, you know, but we need to, not just him, everybody, we need to do, uh, take a page from what they did in the, in the second period, and, and that's just continually get pucks in and grind and, and get pucks to the net. Um, and and expect that those bounces will be there. We'll 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 do that in game four. Welcome in Judd's Hockey Show, Judd and Declan, and we are turning the page. We are going to preview game four. We need to forget game three because, quite frankly, the last forty minutes of game three was awful. It was old school wild. It was everything that you don't want to see if you want the Wild to advance and think they have a chance. But there's got to be a way, Declan. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a way here to help purge the memory of game three. Now, we're taping this or recording, if that's the right word, with the youth of America now at 1240 on Friday, right? Yep. Afternoon. So how does one go about forgetting what occurred in game three? I'm beginning to think it might be cause for some. Oh, wow. Day, oh, my day goodness. drinking. Day drinking. That's right. That's right. Hold on. Unbelievable. You are unreal. Wow. Uh-huh. Hold oh. on. I got a little. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Mm. Oh, I can't believe I'm the one not drinking on this show. Mm. I mean, it's not too shocking, I guess. Like, it's not a complete shell shocker. No. But... No. But I got the I got the furious out. Yep. I got the furious out for a little afternoon. Friday afternoon, good for you. day drinking. Good for you. So I can purge the memory of the crap that we saw. Wait. Okay. Mm. There it is. That sweet Better. IPA. There, there you Better go. now. Better. I'm feeling much, much more enthusiastic. All right. So let's get right to it. We have, um, after three games of no lineup changes by Dean Evason, and there had been talk, I think it was talk among us more so about Marcus Johansson possibly being a healthy scratch in Game 3. He was brought back, played on the third line, broke his arm, unfortunately, in the first period of Game 3. And so Dean will be forced now to make changes. Um, Johansson clearly done for the season. And likely, my guess is he's done uh, with the Wild because he's going to be a free agent. I don't foresee them re-signing him. So we either go Zach Parise or Matthew Boldy, or as Chip Scoggins alluded to us, Filling in for Mackie on Mackie and Judd today, Declan Goff. And I saw a um, friend of the show, Michael Russo, tweet about this as well. What if there are two changes? And what if Matthew Boldy, who I think we both agree should play before Parisi, comes in and Parisi comes in and somebody else gets scratched? What do you think? What does your what do your spidey Declan senses tell you about what the Wild is going to do with Johansson now out? Uh, disclaimer as we start here, as I get before I give my answer, we're recording this on a Friday. This isn't airing till Saturday. So the the news will likely come out that what has happened uh, or the lineup changes that will be taking place will probably be 
official by the time people are consuming and listening to this? I don't know about that. This is the NHL, my man. I think you have to wait till pregame warm-ups to see who the hell takes the That's ice. also very true. And so, and if that's the case, great for our podcast sake. Um, my spidey senses tell me Parisi plays and Boldy doesn't. That's that's what my spidey said. I don't like my spidey senses here, by the way. I, I don't want to defer to them. Um, I just have a pretty good feeling that they're going to go with a veteran. They're not going to throw the rookie, even though Boldy is the faster, more dynamic player you need to match up with gold with the Vegas Golden Knights. They're going to look at Parise's history. They're going to say, we don't want to throw a rookie into the fire. Judging by Bill Guerin's comments about not putting him in right away or giving him a taste even at the end of the regular season, I don't think it'll be Boldy. I unfortunately think it's going to be Zach. And with Marcus Johansson, who does have a broken arm, that is official. That is that is that that has come out. Um, I think Parisi basically might. I don't think he'll take his spot on the third line necessarily. As I freeze because I'm still so shocked that could happen. But I do think Parise draws in. I think you're probably right. Um, I find it interesting that it's being thrown out there, though, that there could be a, a, a chance that they actually scratch another player, make him a healthy scratch, and then we see Boldy get in there as well. Now. Logically, here's my solution. Like, just trying to think like Dean thinks, okay? Because Dean's not—I wouldn't call Dean a risk taker, would you? No. Like, he's not—he doesn't like to go to the edge of the cliff and look. So, my guess is that Parisi now Parisi uh, uh, before being scratched was playing on the fourth line. My guess is if Parisi's the only one to draw in, he does not draw in as Johansson's replacement on the third line. I think Bukestead gets promoted to right wing third line. And I think that Parisi then is the left wing and Benino becomes the right wing with Nico Sturm on the fourth line. I'd like, if you can do this, Declan, I'd like you to do me a favor. Can you look up the game three analytics that you like to use for Bukestead's performance? Sure. Um, because there's, there's some people that think Bukestead might be scratched and that that would be the boldy place. Um, I, first of all, I think Bukestead has more speed than Parisi at this point in Zach's career, which is a sad thing, but was Bukestead terrible? It seemed to me from the eye test that he, that he actually played more once Johansson came out and at, in the second period of times actually looked okay in that role. Yeah. Um, judging in that five to two final, the wild as a team had better Corsi shockingly, even though Vegas destroyed them in the shots on goal t- category. That's because the Wild had such a dominant uh, first period. That also lingers there. But Wild on ice. Let's see here as I try to pull it up in time. Nick Bugstead in Game 3 played 8-33-5 on 5. He had a Corsi 4 of 9 and a Corsi against of 13, so that's 40%. So he was being out-possessed while on the ice. Okay. However, as you and I have said before, the problem with sometimes with Corsi and especially in the role players that Bugstead's playing, he's playing a fourth line role. He's not necessarily generating offense. He's trying to suppress shots and he's going to be, they're going to be taking shots. They're going to be definitely allowing more than they're creating. If you can be a 50, 50 fourth line player, that's honestly a win. Um, so analytically speaking, he didn't have a great game from the eye test. From what we saw, I, I didn't notice him in a bad way. You know, I, I don't think he had a poor game. I wouldn't say he had a strong game either. Um, I could see him bumping up. What I would this is too much changes. What I would prefer to do is I'd put Sturm up to the third line with Fiala. I would bump Rask down to the to, to the to the fourth line with Benino and Bukestead, and I would put or Benino and Parisi, excuse me, and I put I would put Bukestead with Sturm and Fiala. That's what I would do. 
I know that now that's a lot of changes. We're moving like yeah. three different deck chairs on the yeah, Titanic Dean, there. Dean's not doing that. But, uh, but that, yeah, that, that is what I would do. Actually, the, the player who had a very, very rough game Corsi wise was Nick Benino. Nick Benino had a 23% Corsi four, which is, which is horrendously bad. Interesting. But, but at the same time, he, he sells out, he blocks shots. He, he, he takes right. more licks than he creates. So that's where sometimes with Corsi, you got, you got to again, balance that eye test and balance, balance what it is and not just look at it from a, from a 30,000 foot view. How did, did the wild defenseman fare since you're checking that out right now? I, I'd be curious. It felt like Brodeen had a really shaky game for Brodeen. Like well, he's ordinarily so, so steady. Well, Spurgeon and Suter had a very rough game in terms of shots created versus shots allowed. Um, they, their course before was 30%, uh, which is, which is pretty bad. So they weren't generating a lot in terms of Brodeen and Dumba. They actually allowed less shots than Spurgeon and Brodeen. Uh, or excuse me, allowed the same amount of shots as as basically as Surtin and Brodeen, but they also created some, so they offset a little bit more. But I yep. agree with you that in general, eye test wise, Brodeen had at a at a rare off night in Game Three on Friday evening. Um, he did not look as strong. Dumba, Dumba actually thought it did have a good game. I thought Dumba in back to back games so early, far has, early has on, Declan, well. he was great. He came out again, uh, much like Game. Two, he came out shooting. Mm-hmm. I love when he does that. I mean, that's his upside. That that's what makes him different. Yeah. Than you know, Brodeen and Suter and Spurgeon. Well, Spur- Spurgeon will shoot, but yeah, I thought early on Dumbo was set for a big game. He was really shooting. He's appeared confident, and then it's hard. But I mean, the whole team waned so badly. It's hard for me to point at just one guy. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you need you need better play overall uh, if you're going to win Game Four. It's not even close. I mean, it was it was a joke how you play in the last 40 minutes well, refs aside and let's go let's go here off that point uh you've now played four games in this or i'm sorry three games in this series you're going into game four that we're previewing right now and you have what four goals i believe in three games now you've won a game so the parallel i'm about to draw is not exact but you know what this is starting to feel a little bit like a minnesota twins playoff series because hmm. like we're sweating a lot of stuff that we should sweat but if you can't score, it doesn't matter. And here's where I have a problem with last night. So in game one, Cam Talbot won you game one. And Flurry was fantastic. Talbot outperformed him, which was great. In game two, Flurry stood on his head and he was outstanding. And he won that game. And okay, it happens. I thought that you played hard. I thought that you played well. Game three, you got to flurry. Like you scored two first period goals. Could have been three if not for the disallowed goal because of the offsides. And I don't want to say he looked flustered, but he certainly did not look impenetrable, which he had been previously, Declan. And then you got nine shots in the final two periods. (laughs) And credit to the Golden Knights. They played great. Credit to the Golden Knights. They've got a game plan that um, I'm sure, as you said in talking about Corsi, suppress shots. But all of that being said, nine shots at home, 16 shots for the game, which I believe set the wild home playoff game record for fewest shots. And I think tied their franchise record, 16 shots, uh, seven of those in the first period. So this feels like this feels a little bit like the last two years of twins conversations right now. Right. Because like we're talking about the pitching and the bullpen and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, it all comes back to, yeah, but did you score a lot of runs? And it's like, no, you didn't score many runs at all. And so it worries me a little bit, and I think it should concern the Wild that Flurry looked like he was being pushed last night. 
and he gave up two goals, and then he gave up a third. And yes, it was disallowed, but I mean, it was a legitimate workmanlike goal that that X scored, and that was it. Yeah, it just went away. I, I mean that that I don't care what the Golden Knights are doing. You've got to find a way to generate offense consistently, and it doesn't have to be unbelievable chances, but nine shots in two periods. And and here's the problem too. Kirill Kaprizov's on your team. Like, I appreciate that Vegas is obviously doing things to contain him. And I appreciate the fact that the playoffs are a different animal. There's a lot less time and space. All of those things are true. And they're all cliches and true. But, you know, what have we talked about, Declan, all year long? The Wild finally has an offensive superstar. Like a guy yeah. that you can turn to. And you have to find ways, and he has to participate in in this, of not disappearing. Like you can't, we can't get to the end of this series and just say, well, they did a great job on Krill. And if that happens, the series is done. I guess my question now is for game four, what's the counterpunch here? Cause you've got to find, you've got to start to find creative ways schematically. I, I'm not even talking about line juggling at this point. I'm talking about flat out schematically to at least try and create opportunities. Um, because a repeat of nine shots on goal in two periods you'll be done in two more games. Yeah, it's unacceptable. I mean, the re- another re- big reason why the Wilds' course didn't look as bad as it did in Game 3 was because Greenway, Felino, and Eck were absolute beasts. I mean, they, they had another very, very strong game. They, they were creating chances. They did a good job suppressing. Um, they have been your go-to line throughout the course of the postseason, and, and we knew that, by the way. We knew that that line was going to be tasked with that, and we also knew most likely that line was going to be playing the most minutes. The issue is, is basically, <clears throat> excuse me, every other player around them has not lived up to expectations. Kirill has been shut down. Like, let's be honest. I know he's created some plays for, for Ryan Hartman in game one, and he, and, he, and he did set up a beautiful goal for Hartman in game in game three. But in general, he's been held in check. He, he's been held in check, and this is what happens in the postseason. Star players get held in check. And you have to figure out a way to get Kaprizov going. And credit Vegas. Now, I mean, that, that's, it's not just like, hey, Kirill, why can't you just flip it on? Like, why, why, can't, you, why can't you just take it over? Vegas is doing a good job of shutting him down, so they deserve credit for that. At the end of the day, you, you, Ryan Hartman shouldn't be generating the most chances for this team, right? Like, Ryan Hartman should not be doing that. Jordan Greenway, I actually think, has had a very, very strong series. But again, Jordan Greenway shouldn't be the one who I'm circling saying he's having the strongest series so far. You need Kaprizov, you need Fiala, you need these guys to get, get, get their game going ASAP. I mean, look at what Vegas is doing. Alex Tuck's being a stud right now. And again, I think there's a little bit motivation, extra motivation there because of his former team that they traded him. But Tuck is rolling. And Tuck is a young stud for them that they will have for years to come. And he's able to get things going. So if you're a Wild fan and you're frustrated that Kaprizov and Fiala haven't been able to get their motors rolling, I hear you and I feel you. You need those players to start stepping up. You absolutely do. And in game two, Fiala had eight shots on goal. And probably four of them were high danger chances. And Flurry was great. So I had no problem with that. I, I mean, that was, that was what you want. They were getting him chances, and, and he was taking shots. But in game three, the Wild disappeared so badly in the last two periods of play that you couldn't tell. And, and like I thought in the first period last night, the entire team was flying. The Wild was fantastic. And I thought Greenway was great. On the disallowed goal, he did a ton of work. Like, he's the one who went into the corner, got the puck, um, I think centered it. And so, like, he did a lot of things there. 
And then again, in the last two periods, I didn't see, see him. The only guy that I truly saw from, that I truly thought I saw a lot from, from the Eck Felino Greenway line in the last two periods was Felino, who I thought worked his ass off in the third period. Uh, but there were so many passengers. Uh, the Kaprizov thing, though, is very interesting because one, yes, he's 24. So, and, and yes, he, he has professional experience in the KHL. So he's not your tra- traditional 18 year old overwhelmed rookie. But there still is a learning curve, I think, going from the regular season to the playoffs in this league and in a series, how teams will focus on you and try and stop you and contain you. And so he does have to learn th- those things. Um, but to go back to game one, in game one, his line did a ton. And and I give Kaprizov credit because he obviously scares the Golden Knights that Hartman, as a byproduct of that, had a great game and had a ton of scoring chances. Now, he didn't score, but he still had a – I think he had – I think NBC's telecast said Declan six high-danger chances in that game. So that, to me, was sufficient. The last two games, that line I don't think has done nearly enough, not even close. And I think there has to be a – today – there has to be a happy marriage of of how this is going to work, where yet yes, the wild needs to find a way. The coaching staff they're going through film, they have to find a way to combat what the Golden Knights are doing to Kaprizov. The second part, though, is Kaprizov also has to take a step here himself, and like he's got to fight through through this. He seems like, and this is not good, and but it happens to a lot of guys. I, I think who, especially skilled guys, who find out how tough. The playoffs are decks. He seems like a guy who took a lot of abuse probably in game one. And I don't mean like, like gooning it up abuse. I just mean like he got hit or bumped a lot. And the last, and the last two games feels like he is taking a step back. So like, I I don't know how, I don't know if if this was a pie chart of effort. I don't know how, how much of that pie chart falls on the wild and the wild coaching staff and how much falls on Kaprizov. But if a step is not taken to find ways to come back at what the Golden Knights are doing to you, you're going to be done quick here. Like, I, I just don't I, – I don't see somebody else, aside from Fiala a bit, I don't see somebody else picking up the torch here and it, it being, well, Nick Bukestad certainly was great tonight and scored three goals. I mean, Kaprizov is your guy. He is absolutely key. And then Fiala second, and after that, it's sort of a mixed bag. So there's only been one instance in the regular season where Kaprizov went three games without a point, and that was uh, March 18th to 22nd. Two of those games were those disastrous games in Colorado where the Wild got absolutely spanked. And in those three games combined, he was a negative six with only five shots on goal, uh, playing 18 minutes a night too. So, I mean, he was was playing top-line minutes. Um, That was the only instance this season where he was really shut down for a three-game stretch. So you'd like to think... You'd like to think that, all right, he's been shut down for three games. Something will wake up here. However, you're not going from Colorado, Colorado to Anaheim (laughs) where you can start to wake up. You're in the postseason right now, right? Like you're in the playoffs where it's a completely different beast and animal. And Mm -hmm. a good team like Vegas did a very good job of shutting him down. I, I like to think that even with how staunched Vegas, and that was their best offensive game they had played, I think, against the Wild all season by far. I mean, regular season and playoffs, they, they shut down the Wild throughout 40 minutes of that game. They had nine shots on goal. They couldn't get anything towards Flurry, But for the first 20 minutes, they were lackadaisical, and the Wild capitalized. So that, 
that, that's what's so hard to it, it's hard to project what type of performance you can get in the playoffs because it is a completely different beast. But you have to figure out a way to get him going, and if that means you know putting Fiala there instead of Zuccarello, try it. If that even means, and they did this a little bit yesterday, if that means putting Ek with with Kaprizov, try that even. Absolutely try that. I know that lines works really, really well, but if there's an offensive zone face-off and you're down a goal or you're tied, try that right. out. You have to try things out. You have to basic. I wouldn't say try anything and everything in game four because you have a little bit of leeway, and if if everything goes appropriately, you'll even up the series. But if you don't win this game, I mean, I, I think the rang's on the wall that you're going to get bounced. And you do have to find ways or try to, as well as changing the personnel that's with Kaprizov potentially, to finding ways to free him up, to try and get creative. I, I mean, if the Golden Knights are well coached, so odds are if you're successful, they'll come back in game five and combat that. I get that. But like this is also dependent on watching film and finding ways, finding ways to put Kaprizov in a position that comes as close to what he regularly saw, right? And I'm talking against good, good teams um, because that's on the coaches. And you can find ways, I'm sure. I mean, you, you've got last change here. That should help you technically. So, but he's going to have to realize that some of the plays that he made, and they were spectacular during the course of the regular season, simply aren't possible now. And accept that and move on and not get frustrated, but keep going. Hey, I, couple of things about um, tomorrow's game as well, or tonight's game, since we're recording this on Friday for Saturday. Cam Talbot's play. Cam Talbot, I am not faulting for one second for that loss. His team collapsed in front of him. They were horse bleep. So this is not – did you notice, though, I, I went back and watched the goals. At least two of the goals that were more on – that were more planned plays, not broken plays, were blocker side, including the fourth goal, I think, by – William Carlson, where Spurgeon goofed up and lost that puck. That's a bad play by him. But they went the first goal by Stone, which, by the way, was from the slot. That's an incredibly tough shot to stop. I'm not saying that. But both of those guys went high blocker side. And here's the thing that they saw, I, I, I do believe. So where the flower is so great, in fact, I can if I can show you on camera here, I'll give, give you a little <laughs> demonstration where the flower is so great is the flower the flower plays slightly off center at times to give you to give you thank you yeah the so so like let's say where i'm pointing here is Mm -hmm. is my glove side goal okay so flower gives you the illusion that there's glove side room because he's a little bit off okay but he wants you to shoot glove side because he knows he can make that save he can make the save, okay? So he gets the glove out. That That's possible glove side cat quick, which, by the way, for Flowers' age, 36, I believe, is incredible. But, Dex, if that's blocker side, you're just getting beat. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't flash the blocker. You don't fool. If they've seen something where you are exposing some, some blocker side or high blocker are just a little bit weak, that's not uh oh i was trying that on purpose and they beat me that's a problem that has to be fixed a little bit mm-hmm. so so i did see that they shot on at, le- at least two of the goals high blocker side which is a tough save to start with but i'm just saying i wonder if that's where because i felt that there were times during the course of the regular season decks where um talbot struggled a little bit sometimes high glove side too which is where flurry's so good yeah 
But but I just saw that, and I'm wondering if we're now going to see a trend where if there are more set plays or plays where the, the guy comes like Carlson did off the wing, where we are going to see them go high blocker side, and if Talbot can make adjustments against that as well. Uh, did you did you go back and watch the goal that they scored? I think it was the two to one goal off the Nick Holden shot. No, I did not. Okay, hold on a second. Let me see if I can find that goal. I got my notes right here. All right, so that was yeah, that was the goal at fifteen nineteen of the second period that tied it at two two. I do believe. So the defenseman Holden. And I don't know if this was from practicing at the X or from the the fact that these two teams played so much that the Golden Knights know the building now. He purposely, and the more I watch this, I'm convinced it, it was a play that they had talked about. So it's not odd for a defenseman to miss the net on purpose, but he missed the net by a ton. Like he used it as a pass off the boards, and they must know that the boards are gonna are pretty jumpy there, which I think hurt Dubnik at times. And I want to say it was the lower dasher. He got it off that thing, and it hit perfectly and bounced out out front. Go back and watch that goal. It's an incredible. I think I think they knew exactly what they were doing. Now the percentage chance it was going to work were probably not well, huge, yeah. but yeah. But go back and watch that because he in no way, shape, or form is trying to, to direct that puck towards the net. And it looks like he's trying to direct that puck right towards a certain area of the boards that they know have some bounce. And that sucker kicked right back out front. And that that's the one where I think it got backhanded from the slot. I think Talbot might have got a sort of a glove and deflected it, but it still went in the goal. That's one of the nicest plays I've seen. And in an opposing building, that's a hell of a play. Yeah, look, I, I don't... I don't um... Fault Talbot at all. Yeah, through the first three games, he's played great. In general, to your in-depth goalie breakdown there, by the way, bravo. Street um, hockey goaltender, yeah, all-pro, Krediak. Boot, boot hockey uh, runner-up, senior year at, at St. Paul Central, so I, I understand it. As you well. were no Zolgad. I was no Zolgad. I, um, Don't kid yourself. No, that's okay. I was no Krediak, but that, that's all right. Um, <laughs> I, I do think if, if, if you're going to attack a goalie, blocker side, I mean, that's always usually going to win. Blocker side is going to be more vulnerable than glove side. Typically, not always. I'm not saying it's completely black and white. Um, but the boards at the X are weird. That's how the wild got eliminated by the Blackhawks in game six, um, six, seven years ago. Just right. a weird, awkward play. And again, and a, a player like Kane didn't do that awkwardly. He, he, he knew what he was doing and he knew that if he got that, got that puck on a rebound, he can, be, he can beat the goaltender. And that's what happened. Um, I think in general, Talbot has been the least to blame. I know you had that sentiment too. I think most wild fans do as well. Gotta get yeah. going. And yes, this does kind of unfortunately remind me of a Twins playoff series. And well, at least we won a damn game. Uh, but at the same time, I wasn't expecting us just to win a game. I was expecting a possible series and upset. So the 2 2 goal by, by the way was scored by Patrick Brown off that holding shot at 15 19 of the second period. And to your point about the boards, that same, so that same goal, which is the goal that the Wild shoots at twice per game. Um, that's the third period play where the puck bounced, I think, off those boards to Felino out front. Mm-hmm. And I love him. I mean, that guy works his ass yeah, off. Yeah. But he's just not skilled enough to make. I mean, that's a play that Kane made, yeah. right? Yep. Like that puck came off and, and he had to contort himself. It was impossible. Like right. it's, it's a, it, it takes a star. I mean, Kaprizov, I think, has a shot. Mm-hmm. But that puck came off and did the same thing. And it, it was a 3-2 game at that point, And Felino was like handcuffed by it. But that's the type. That's what you're talking about. Like if that's a Kane or a Kaprizov, you've got a chance on a really 
fluky goal. And it just, it seems like the boards at that end are lively. So final thoughts, final thoughts, even this damn game up, please. Cause if, uh, if you don't, you're, I think you're really dead in the water. I think if you go back to Vegas down three to one, you're dead in the water. And Oh, the wild have come back from three, one before we did that too. We did that 17 years ago. I'm not picking on the announcers. I'm not picking on the announcers. My good friends. I'm not picking on the announcers. in fact, I, I did have to watch a certain local broadcast yesterday. My Chromebook would not give me the NBC sports feed. Uh, so I did have to watch the local feed, which I didn't want to do, but I wasn't going to be too much it's of West a... It's Wes Walls. It's my guy, Wes Walls. Wallsy's great. I like Wallsy. No problem with Walls. Walls, Walls is good. Walls is um, good. Prediction. Prediction. Game four. Wild win 2-1. I just think they're going to be still Ooh. suppressed with, with scoring, but I think they win low scoring. I think 2-1. Two, 2-1. One. Two, one. If they don't come back and win this game and play lights out, for three periods, then I I I got real problems with them. Yeah, man. Uh, Wild scores four goals in this game. Like, I mean, they should have scored four or five last night. They had two. They damn near had three in the first period. Wild scores four goals. They win four to one. Okay. They yeah. win four to one. Uh, hold hold on a second before I'm done. I want to <laughs> renew my purge. This is my purge of game three. Hold on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now I'm feeling. So well. good that I that I that I broke out the 2003. It's got coffee or something. About to say that. there's some type of stain on there. 2003. Stop. State of hockey flag. All right. Say your thing, and uh, we'll talk to people after game four. Fast shoot score. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.